Thanks for joining us for the Cultured Meat and Future Food Show. Gary Shevsky is the guest for today's episode. Gary Shevsky is the founder and chief executive officer of New Luna Ventures. He is also an investor, professor, educational writer, and a leading proponent of sustainable impact measurement. New Luna Ventures is a leading impact venture capital advisory and investor in the food, agriculture, energy, community enrichment, and enabling software industries. They help entrepreneurs build sustainable ventures and connect disruptive ideas with investors and partners. Mr. Shevsky's experience in impact investing, knowledge, and add value support resonates with food 2.0 entrepreneurs. His depth of experience with entrepreneurship, emerging market opportunities, and as an investment professional also provides New Luna Ventures with a powerful combination of success. Gary, I'm excited to welcome you to the Cultured Meat and Future Food Show. Thanks, Alex, and thanks for hosting me. Tell us a little bit about your background and actually when you first heard about Cultured Meat. Well, uh, in terms of background, I, uh, for the last uh, 25 years, I advised and invested and helped grow startups, entrepreneurial ventures across different areas of technology. In the last 17 years, I ran a family office. And in, in that capacity, I invested in alternative assets, including funds, funds of funds, and diversified the family office portfolio. About 10 years ago, I rededicated myself to a focus on impact and sustainable startups. Uh, and I define sustainability as meeting the needs of the present without compromising the ability of future generations to meet their own needs. That's a UN definition. About four years ago, uh, I refocused my impact thesis into food 2.0 and alternative proteins and began making investments in that sector, starting with alternative proteins. And about two years ago, started discovered and started researching and identifying the key players in cellular meat. Great. So it was about two years ago that you first heard about it. That's correct. Okay. And so I'm going to run a consumer survey here. <laughs> so as a consumer, how much would you be willing to pay for cultured meat? And what I mean by that is that if it was served as a restaurant at a restaurant, would you pay more for it or would you wait until it reaches price parity before trying it? I would definitely pay more just as I do in the plant-based foods space. I mean, for example, I, I had a, a get-together over the weekend and one of the guests was a pure vegan and I made a frittata using two full uh, canisters of just eggs. And, you know, they're about $8 a canister. So I believe in deploying these new technologies, even though they cost more, uh, as a personal leading edge consumer. However, I think I'm in the minority. I think most uh, consumers and to reach a kind of industrial or mass consumer scale, we do really need to bring these products into price parity. So the just egg is a really good example. Would you say that once that just egg comes down to, you know, one to one with the cost of either liquid eggs or traditional eggs, uh, would you say that consumers would make that uh, purchasing decision to go for just egg versus traditional eggs? Yes. And I, and I don't really think it needs to reach a one for one parity. I think consumers are willing to pay more to do good for the environment. Uh, to seed the transition 
to more sustainable food practices. So I think if the, the marketing messaging is made clear, uh, I think these products can have a slightly increased price over parity. Uh, and, and I do think um, there's ways also to bring it down to parity through things like government incentives and uh, support, just as has been done in the renewables industry, uh, to encourage this, this industry to be adopted by the consumers for sustainability reasons. In terms of cellular meat reaching price parity, we're certainly early in that cycle. There's a number of technology hurdles and production hurdles, but plant-based foods, which is a little further along and a little easier to reach parity, is getting closer and closer. You mentioned about your transition to kind of food 2.0. Tell us a little bit more about New Luna Ventures, why you started it, and the overall investment thesis. Well, as I mentioned, uh, I dedicated myself to investment in impact and more recently been running my own family office. And within that impact thesis, we really do a lot of research and identify categories and areas to add value. So my goal with New Luna is to bring our, our research, our deal access, our add value to a broader set of investors in order to have a bigger impact. And that means reaching out to other family offices, other individual investors. And our approach is to syndicate investment from like-minded investors into specific companies. So by syndication, I mean we form a special purpose vehicle or what's called an SPV, which becomes a single investor on a cap table for any of these kinds of startup companies but we pool capital from a series of investors into that SPV. So for the company, they just see one investor on their cap table. For our investors, they get to see one specific company that they're investing into. They can kind of kick the tires. Maybe they're even able to add value to that company. And that's quite different than just a pure venture fund where it's a blind pool. You don't necessarily know what companies are gonna be in there or under what type of timeline. We are also, anticipating raising a micro venture fund. We're leaving that in a more opportunistic basis uh, as compared to making specific investments. Like we currently have uh, access to uh, allocation to a particular company. So we're doing that in a syndicate. We see the venture fund, uh, whether it's micro or larger, more aligned with corporate strategics who can move the needle in the the industry. Uh, In terms of the thesis, I really identify a a two-part thesis. One is a a fundamental thesis and impact, and the other is a sector thesis. Uh, On the fundamental side, and this is something that was the impetus of New Luna going on, say, six to 10 years ago, we discovered that there's a new type of entrepreneur that's arrived on the the scene. And these are values-based entrepreneurs. They're, They're entrepreneurs who are leading with their values, they're seeking impact, and they care about making change. And they seek also positive returns for consumers, employees, and investors. So this is not an activist-driven approach. This is an actual entrepreneurial approach. And we determined from from various uh, research that when such entrepreneurs are pursuing impact or what, what we might say a pure play venture, a product that is itself sustainable rather than just say an ESG policy, then these products have a greater opportunity and these companies to outperform 
other types of companies. One of the main reasons is they have a very strong business case. Uh, they can build virtuous ecosystem around these impact companies and products with suppliers, with, with partners, with, uh, with hires, future employees, and they can get very broad uh, consumer acceptance and marketing inflection by their sustainability message. So that's our fundamental thesis. In terms of the sector and, and, and how we got to this podcast uh, interview today, we, we've narrowed that down and our sector thesis may change from time to time or adapt, but we see that the future proofing of protein production as the thesis. In other words, we're investing in alt alternative proteins because there's a need to future proof protein production. And that's because the current methods uh, require, are, are not sustainable. You know, they require intensive land use, intensive water use, long distance supply chains, and fundamentally production methods that are not secure, reliable, predictable, and most importantly, they're not consistently food safe. So you've probably seen these statistics in terms of the, the non-sustainability. For example, livestock rearing takes up 33% of all cropland. You know, imagine if that cropland is converted to alternative protein crops that are that are useful in plant-based foods or for, for other types of cellular meat production. 7% of all greenhouse gases are coming from ruminant animals. And we know of the significant uh, food safety risks, which I can come to a little bit later. So with this need, this non-sustainability and a need for more protein production based on population growth and various factors for increased protein, both in emerging middle class markets and just global population growth, which is estimated that to reach um, about 30% more protein production by 2050, we see this demand and need combining together to create this opportunity to invest in alternative proteins. And that's proteins produced at scale using things like plant sciences, precision biology, molecular biology, texture, material sciences, these types of innovations in the biosciences, bioengineering that are innovating these new products. And that's why we call this food 2.0. Food 1.0 might've been chefs in the kitchen, creating a great product, bringing it to market, where Food 2.0 is really technology-driven, using these various modalities and science-driven approaches. When we use the word impact, you know, you mentioned sustainability. Others in this space, I think, focus on animal welfare. What is that really for you? Uh, and and you know, you also mentioned that you know the entrepreneurs are value-driven. Could the word impact be determined by those values? Well, impact ultimately is measuring or finding the outcomes. And for us, we're looking for positive outcomes for the environment, for uh, across multiple different types of investments, not just clean meat, but it can be positive outcomes for the environment, for community, like community engagement, for health, for uh, positive society. Th these are all areas where innovation has an impact. Um, impact might not only be environmental impact, in other words. And the real need in the impact space is to measure this impact. And, and that's something we're very actively involved in, is helping startups develop the methodology to measure their impact and define the outcomes they're seeking and that they may be causing this positive change. 
one of the drivers for me is definitely environment, environmental protection, improvements to protect the water, land, oceans. Uh, that's, that's one of my passions that, that drove me towards the impact sector. Um, but we do look for these, these broader areas of, of outcomes. It, and, um, you know, one of the drivers, if you look at food as health, another outcome or impact benefit is the health benefits of uh, food 2.0 or alternative proteins. And we, you know, this is, you know, obviously extremely top of mind now in terms of food security and food safety. Uh, you know, the current methods rely on antibacterials, antibiotics, hormone per injections, and there's a high degree of livestock contamination and pandemic diseases. Take, for example, last year, 2019, the African swine flu, over 30% of the world's pigs were cold in six months, 2 million pigs in China, a million in Vietnam, uh, due to food safety. And now we're, we're grappling at the human side with, with the COVID-19 virus, which, uh, you know, I'm not an expert and, and it's still being evaluated, but may have jumped a species, may have propagated through food markets. So food safety and food as health is another outcome or benefit uh, or, or impact uh, area. And, and in this case, it's also a major market driver. As the population grows and as these pandemics continue to increase and risks to our food supply, that there needs to be a better way, and there is, and that, that, that way is plant-based foods and cellular meats. There are really two kind of insights that have been discussed in the world of startup investing as of late. One is that seed rounds are ballooning to what we would have considered a Series A probably less than a decade ago. And the other is that the amount of startups raising seed is significantly higher than Series A, right? And so they're not making it to Series A. Do you see this as true? And if so, why do you think we're seeing this right now? Let, let's look at it this way. In, in the context of plant-based foods, I don't agree that A rounds were becoming more difficult. Uh, there's been a very good trend over the last three, three, or three years, two to three years, of follow-on rounds in plant-based foods, for example, A, B, and C rounds. And that's been very robust. And one of the main reasons for that is there's a clear path to market in plant-based foods, whether or not there's price parity. Uh, and that is that plant-based food producers can find co-production or production themselves and, and, and the equipment and manufacturer capabilities there. They can find a co-packer even to deliver to market. So the challenge with the later rounds is more around distribution, getting into the channel, sales and marketing, building up the team, and A, B, and C rounds are very good for that. In, in, so, so, you know, we, we want to look at these by sector. So if you look at the cellular meat, um, I don't necessarily agree that, that seed's just getting larger. W what I think is going on is that the requirements to get the, the science done uh, are in just a completely different cycle. Uh, and the, the requirements to get a product to market are a completely different cycle than in plant-based foods. There, it's more cellular meat is more like biotech in, uh, industry. So you're you're looking at investing a larger amount of capital to get to viability, product viability. There are some technical challenges that still need to be solved that that didn't exist in the plant-based food, um, you know, particularly 
around cell density, serum cost, you know, methods of production. And there just simply aren't known ecosystem for manufacturing and production. It's just too early. So this creates the impression that the A and B rounds are getting pushed out. One of the reasons is we, we haven't solved those problems yet. And I think this creates a, a significant opportunity to, 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 in a way, not look at this as traditional VC within the cellular meat industry, the traditional sort of venture cycles, but rather that this is an opportunity for corporate development, corporate strategic investment, and that the follow-on rounds, what you might otherwise call an A, B, or C round, will, will, are, are really opportunities for corporates to step in with partners you know, and even New Luna is looking at this as, as part of our offering, part of our fund. We know who these leading startups are. We know what the needs are from a business and, and market perspective. And we really think we can bridge the gap to these corporate strategics who can come in as investors and add value partners to solve these production issues and to help these companies get products uh, to scale and solve and figure out the, the means of production. So a good example might be sort of synthetic fuel companies who, who built mass scale for, for synthetic fuel production or algae production. These are kinds of complementary companies, including you know, pharma and ag, that can come to play here to bring this uh, opportunity to the market. And then, then there'll be follow-on you know, venture rounds in the more traditional venture or even private equity to build out companies' teams, to, to build out um, just the, the financial capital stack to bring these products to market through sales and marketing. So I just think you're dealing with kind of two entirely different approaches when you look at the venture rounds. And I do think this is a significant opportunity to sell your meat for corporate strategics to, to fill this gap. Interesting. Okay. And, you know, with that being said, though, we are seeing more of these corporate strategics bringing on CVC arms that do invest in the traditional type of venture model. Yeah, I think there are corporate venture units, uh, but but a, a corporate investor is, is quite different than a venture fund doing an A round. A corporate strategic in a venture unit is typically looking at some internal uh, add value strategies, for example, you know, market distribution, maybe R&D on the production side, maybe lowering serum costs, for example, other technical skills or, or a deeper bench of resources that a startup would have a hard time filling and wouldn't be around the core science of, of say, cell identification and propagation, but around other areas that need not be built out by the startup that the corporate strategic could bring to the table. But just because they have a venture unit or a corporate venture arm doesn't mean they're operating the same way like an A or B round venture firm would. It's quite a different type of investment proposition, valuation, kind of add value. I think it's very beneficial in cellular meat for these companies to, to have that kind of partnership and that round uh, without squeezing out future private equity. And that, that's an important challenge because if corporates come in and, and private equity later perceives that the, the upside's already been taken, the valuations were too high, um, or there's built-in sort of acquisition terms, it might squeeze out follow-on uh, capital. So you want to be careful in those deals, but I do think they're, 
they're very appropriate and and they're they're likely to fill that gap and 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 one thing also when you mentioned the corporate venture units they often change a lot unlike a venture fund where it's going to have you know a 10 year life they've had multiple uh, they're on multiple venture funds one two three four in venture units often have turnover with their teams so you want to build terms that really focus on the corporate ad value, not just the venture partner or say the venture unit, um, like you would have in a venture fund that sits on the board, but with a corporate strategic, you know, what other corporate departments are you getting benefit from? What, what are you protecting in your IP from being seen? Where, where is the, the, the true JV for that ad value as opposed to a corporate venture unit that's just sort of sprinkling money around the industry to hedge bets? I think that's a different kind of corporate venture investor versus the one I'm talking about, which is a more of a corporate strategic that's really helping solve these, these, these gap needs to bring these products to market. Is there a point in time where a company outgrows the need to go to either their corporate strategic or the corporate venture arm? Not, not really. I, I think, um, you know, financings and the complexion of the types of financing partners that you bring in at any one time is a very fluid uh, thing that is unique to an industry sector and maybe unique even to the company. One of the very interesting things about Food 2.0 or alternative proteins is it is not like your traditional software company where there, there are very mature, efficient markets in finance around these rounds and around what it means to get an exit and, and who, who and how you partner with. Uh, and maybe those timings are a little more uh, kind of clear when you may forego that opportunity at a later date. Although even that, there, a corporate strategic may come in and make a later stage investment or acquisition. So the, these things tend to be to be, to be uh, fluid, uh, but in, in alternative uh, protein and food 2.0, it's relatively new for the venture world. There aren't that many long, long-standing traditional large-scale venture funds that have been investing in this space. There are there are more coming into it as we over the last couple of years, and, and that may continue to be the trend. The, the ecosystem that the entrepreneurs have to rely on to answer the very question you, ha- you raise, which is, is there, when do we take this corporate money? Is it add value or not? What are the risks and benefits? In the software world, they have many colleagues and many startups in a very efficient marketplace for capital uh, and for knowledge to go out and, and get answers to those questions. This is relatively new. You can't call up you know, five colleagues who've done multiple exits and raised multiple rounds, whether they be venture or corporate strategic, and get their take. So it is a, it is a very uh, evolving kind of uh, system, and, and this is where it's important. Have really good finance uh, advisors with experience in, in, in multiple sectors and multiple industry trends and timing trends to help these companies navigate the financing rounds and because there is no one exact way or one exact timing you know uh what's happening now with with the market correction often this is a sign where venture funds uh, what they say sort of close the funding window 
they get nervous about market corrections, get about exits uh, in other portfolio companies that are that they've invested in and 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 done multiple later rounds in comp- completely different industries, for example, maybe in software or or other, and. They're also doing, let's say, Food 2.0, but but they they just make an, an edict and they say, we're not doing A or B rounds now. We're going to only mature the companies we've already invested in. Uh, we recommend conserving capital. And you can get this sort of copycat trend uh, where funding windows rapidly close. So what I'm saying, I'm not saying that's happening right now, although that's a fairly common thing that does happen in a market correction to venture funding is they, they kind of freeze new, new rounds and really focus on the more mature companies and, and preserving capital with the, the less mature companies. And that's why having advisors on these boards of these cellular meat or even plant-based food companies who have a lot of experience with these, these, the history of, of venture rounds, the history of, of funding windows, um, the sophistication on, on how to time this. And this is not something just your average um, CFO or uh, even, even a lawyer uh, in the company can, can advise. You, you need people with just a lot of startup experience who've seen a lot of different trends across a lot of different industries to help these companies navigate this. And and, and back to my point, in Food 2.0, many of the CEOs just don't have a strong ecosystem because it's so new to network and get good answers amongst colleagues that you would have in the software industry. So um, this is, an, op- this is a, 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 an important time to collaborate, to share information, to draw on resources with this depth of experience and, and sort of not be out there on a limb trying to figure out how you're going to get through a difficult funding climate. I think that's especially interesting because I think it was um, Sequoia who released a memo to the founders that they, they published that that did say, you know, conserve capital, be care- cautious about hiring. Um, and, and that's definitely an interesting thing to mention with the time that we are in now, not only because of coronavirus, but what is happening with this market correction, so to speak. And so, you know, generally speaking, do you think that cell cultured meat, the cell cultured meat space could blow up to the size of the plant-based meat market? Oh, absolutely. The, the, the market need is, as I mentioned, you know, huge in terms of global food demand and, and population growth. Uh, and I think um, the, the estimates, for example, is that the global po- population will reach 9.7 billion by 2050, and we're going to need 60% more calories to feed that growing population and double the calories in developing countries. So I think the the market need is going to drive uh, alternative proteins in general, and certainly cellular meat as as part of that uh, higher quality protein and just demand for meat. My sense is. I don't necessarily differentiate these two industries. While, while certainly there are different science methods being deployed, there's a lot of overlap, whether it be plant molecules or uh, on, on the animal side. The skills of bringing products to market are similar. Some of the learnings on the plant-based side will apply on the, on the cellular meat side. Some of the limitations on cellular meat, like cell density, may be 
may be supplemented through plant-based. I look at the two industries as sort of overlapping over time, if not even merging. Uh, certainly the plant-based sector is, is, is well ahead of the cellular meat for the reasons I mentioned, the ability to bring product to production and market. Uh, but I, I see these two categories kind of under this one umbrella. But absolutely, I, I see the demand there and I see the, uh, the cellular meat rapidly uh, catching up with, with plant-based. It definitely makes sense to kind of group them in the same category because I think they will complement each other pretty well. Exactly. So we often ask for advice for the young founders that are just about to start their company, but we rarely ask about the startup founder that has already raised their seed round and is perhaps preparing for uh, a second or later stage round. What advice do you have for these startup CEOs that are fundraising for their next or later stage round? Well, uh, this is extremely important in this climate that not only do they get these certain fundamentals in place in order to achieve the follow-on round, but they also have the fundamentals in place to withstand not closing a round so, uh, due to, say, market conditions. So what, what I've seen in the last few years, uh, which you know, for someone like myself who's been 25 years working with startups and, and, and comes at it from a very bottoms-up approach, I, I teach in the area of, of uh, due diligence of sustainable and impact startups and you know, how to build the fundamentals in the business planning in order to attract capital and close capital and fundamentally build a solid company. And I've seen a lot of that go out the window and turn into just sort of 10 slides without, you know, without the depth of that business planning. So what I would say is before you move to that, more sophisticated round where the due diligence is ultimately going to uncover those gaps and or you have difficulty closing follow-on round because the market climate's changed. You need to build the core fundamentals of a business that then in my opinion, you know, should have been there before the easier money was even raised. And those core fundamental areas, like for example, what is the go-to market strategy? What, what sectors in what order? And how will you get there? And where is the sales resistance? You have to know that. You have to be building towards that. Communications, for example, often companies get overly focused on brand and product communication, but aren't interfacing with the financial communication or the, the investor stakeholder. And what can happen is brand and product messaging can actually, in some cases, uh, inadvertently create due diligence, due diligence risks for the financial stakeholders just through certain uh, use of language and, uh, and focus and confusion. Uh, you don't want to get mixed messages on what the company is all about what its impact is, what its product is, what its go-to market strategies are. So another area is, for example, of getting these fundamentals and what I think is very critical for both plant-based and cellular meat and, and, and is also very critical in, say, renewables, but maybe less so in just pure software. And that is uh, regulatory and, and things are issues around regulatory advocacy. There's a lot of confusion uh, within the cellular meat being mixed up with GMO. And, um, you know, how are you going to remove those 
areas of confusion uh, and sort of false stigma. And, and getting these sort of mission-critical things right, these core fundamentals, and then building the team around that. These are things that are often, well, th- these are the things that I would say are critical to the next phase, you know, post-seed. And even if you got an A without putting those in place, you, you have to have those in place or companies can very quickly start going sideways and start making mistakes and, and sort of be more reactive than proactive. In terms of building the team to address some of those core fundamentals I just mentioned, one of the uh, important things to do as an entrepreneurial CEO is identify team members that you uh, that will commit to join on the next round. It doesn't mean you necessarily have to have hired them. You might not have the capital to hire them, but you've identified key hires for, for each of those and other core fundamentals that need to be put in place. And that can often be done by what, what, what I call and what the venture industry knows of, as the term will join on funding. In other words, you've identified a candidate who will commit in writing or in a due diligence call from an investor that they absolutely will join this company on funding. They've had extensive uh, meetings with the team. They know the product and, and the market. They just can't leave their, their day job, so to speak, until there's sufficient capital in the next round. But a good CEO will have identified those people in advance of raising the round and the right people in the right order to address those core fundamentals. So, so you know, fundamentals, team. And then the third thing I'd say that I've also seen um, some, uh, let's say, make it or break it kind of issues around just in my career working with startups. And that is to really have a good soul searching amongst the core founding team, the co-founders and the core team, and assess the skills and strengths and weaknesses of, of what you have. It's, it's very rare to have, have all the core functions in, in an early startup. You just, just can't uh, typically cover all of that. It may also be that the co-founding team lacks the skill level or experience to take the company to certain next levels. This is very common. A CEO might be great at getting the product completed and the science and bringing in that initial capital, but not in leading a bigger company and bringing product to market and building out these various functions and reports and divisions. Um, And so it's very important to be humble and to put your ego aside and say, what's best for this product, for this company, and for our investors in the leadership? And, it, and, it, and if it's not that team, you're basically hiring your boss. And that boss you're hiring is going to report to you on the board. If you're the co-founder, if you're, if you're the original CEO, it's not like you're being displaced. What you're doing is a smart move to make a successful company. And You'll see many companies fail or end up with significant down rounds or result in in turnarounds for not recognizing uh, this particular issue and thinking they can build the company throughout all its stages. That that is a very rare founder who can do that across multiple stages of a company's evolution. So you know that's those are you know it's just some of the areas that I think founders need to be aware of. And, and it does get backed. And this is why we're an ad value advisor. We've been around the startup scene for 25 years. It, we're much more interested in the ad value than, than just simply raising and deploying capital. Uh, that, that is not 
you know, that, that in, in many ways, that's not my strength. My strength is, is building companies and adding value. We want to bring in other family offices to the benefit of our research and this deal flow. But the, you know, our, where, where we really in, in enjoy is, is helping these companies get to the next stage and, and be sustainable, successful companies for all stakeholders and, and, and ultimately to have that impact outcome. A very good answer and one that makes me think it could be a nice addition as an additional chapter to the hard things about the hard things, right? <laughs> <laughs> cool. So, you know, we, we talked about food 2.0. Uh, I just want to ask, is your team interested in these next generation or food 2.0 companies that are direct to consumer uh, and consumer facing or follow more of a food service and B2B route? Or is that not really a differentiating factor for you? Uh, we, we look at either uh, or both. Uh, the different types of products may have different go-to market strategies. I, I do think what's interesting in the cellular meat sector, and as I mentioned, we, we view it a little bit more like you know biopharma, biotech. I think there will be some leading early fully integrated companies that identify various molecules and scientific means of, of, of replication and go all the way to bringing that to market, meaning they actually are the producer. And um, kind of like there were Genentechs, Amgens, Biogens, and Gileads. And I, I also think there's going to be a whole nother class of startups that never bring a product to market, whether it be consumer or food service, but actually bring the technology through out-licensing to larger partners, both some of those early leaders and others. So I think this industry uh, may shape out a little bit more like that. Uh, you know, we're, we're agnostic to, to what strategy they're, they're deploying, whether it's consumer or food service, and, and that has to do with a lot of factors of the team and the product itself and the branding and how much capital is available. So, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're open to different approaches depending on, on the company. Fundamentally, in the clean meat or cellular meat space, what, what we've identified over the last two years or what we believe are the leading enablers, if not platforms, that have more than just the product. Uh, they're not only doing, say, a one-for-one -one uh, product, whether it be a chicken or a shrimp or, or a duck, whatever it may be. We don't think that's as interesting as some underlying platform technology that can be partnered to all kinds of other cellular meat companies. We think those are the leading players, and that's the thesis or that's a subthesis where we've identified the key companies that we've shortlisted and um, that have those broader portfolios, and those are the ones we've uh, come to know and, and look to add value to and syndicate and, and invest into. You can get in touch with Gary and learn more about New Luna Ventures at New Luna, that's L-U-N-A, ventures.com. Gary, are there any last insights you might have for our listeners today? I think we, we covered it. Uh, I, I really appreciate that you're uh, helping this industry with your podcast and your event. Uh, I attended your event. It was extremely well produced and there was a great deal of knowledge sharing and, and even the corporate strategic participation. And uh, we look forward to uh, more of that and, and supporting your efforts and supporting this industry. 
Gary, thank you so much for being with us today on the Cultured Meat and Future Food Show. You're welcome. This is your host, Alex, and we look forward to being with you on our next episode.